Now you have to pray to be forgiven for opening it ahead of time. Um, anyway, so what we'll do is we just peel back that top film, and that's going to let, let us have what's called, I'm calling the wafer, which is the, the, the bread. So we'll receive that, and then after that, we'll take the foil, which is underneath, and be careful that when you open it that you don't splash yourself or somebody near you, but uh, then we'll receive from, from the cup, we'll receive the, uh, the juice. So that's how we'll do that, and thank you. This isn't a matter of being um, high-tech or anything else. This is just something we're going to try because we sometimes... I want to spend more time on actually participating in communion, less time standing, waiting in line to do those things. So that's, that's just what this is about. Amen? How many know that the bread that Jesus took and uh, what he offered up and said, this is my body, how many of you know that it was, it was just bread? wasn't anything dynamic they were about to do and partake, and it was very symbolic according to a Passover tradition. It would be, but yet it wasn't what he said it is, see? Because he said, this is my body. So he took that which was natural and, 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 and he made it supernatural like this in a moment and told us that whenever we do this, that we're to do it in remembrance of what he's doing. And of course, what he was symbolizing is he's going to be not only thrashed and beat, he's going to go on to a tree for us and he'll be, he'll be killed, um, hung up on that tree, humiliated and shamed for you and me so that we don't have to be. So let me tell you, shame has been taken on the cross. Humiliation has been taken on the cross. He himself bore all of our griefs on the cross. So see, if you're holding on to some of those things and and that stuff continues to smack you in the face, let me tell you, go ahead and just give it to him because that's what he wants. He, He said, I already took it. Now give it to me. Amen? We said that yesterday, didn't we? Give that to me. He doesn't want you holding on to that stuff. So here's the thing. How many of you have noticed there's a little thing in the bulletin for Saturday morning from 9 o'clock to 12 o'clock, and it's called an AIM meeting, A-I-M. Is anybody? Just one person lie and raise your hand and tell me you actually paid attention to it in the bulletin. It's under the calendar. 9 o'clock to noon, and what we're doing it on that day for is because we can't accomplish what we're going to do on, on a Sunday morning in an hour, an hour and a half two hours. It's going to take every bit of three hours for us to do everything we need to do. And this is for leadership. This is for people who are in ministry. This is for those of you who desire to be in ministry. It's something that in my time here, I've had a despicable record of having no leadership meetings. So guess what? It's time to change that. And we can talk about it or we can just begin to make that happen. So what we have is we've got some cool stuff we need to cast vision. We need to give. I'm trying to do is I'm trying to, to give ministry away. Understand? So some of you might have thought I'm a hoarder and I'm just keeping it and I'm doing everything and I don't let anybody do anything. And uh, I'm just going to prove you wrong. So what I'm looking for is, is for this church to rise up and become what God has in store for us. I've got to take that and give it out. And I need to, we've got a, this cool little wheel that we've created that, that, um, Actually, I've got one. So if somebody wants to take an old wagon wheel that I've got, it's off of an Amish buggy, and it needs, it's all dilapidated and ugly, and I need it to be sanded and painted. So if somebody wants to take that bad boy on, a a little restoration process, um, that's what I'd like. Somebody see me about my wagon wheel, okay? 
But the will is going to describe to us part of how we're going to accomplish things because what I find usually is that in any kind of endeavor, in any enterprise, in any business, communication is, is part of the... It, it can make it really successful or it can make it really clumsy and, and it can cause it to collapse. And for me as a pastor that I have all these people to communicate with and what happens is sometimes I don't do so good a job. And then what I need is I don't always get the communication back to me. And so this wheel really sets it up. I'm going to talk about that at the AIM meeting. It's really a means of having the communication that goes out and then the communication that comes back in. Because at least according to the way that, that I've got it here is that once we give it out, then the other people, it's your job leadership to communicate back to me and that completes a loop. And that's what I feel like we've been missing, that process. So that's what we're going to be doing. So I need you to, I need those who are willing, those who are, would, would like to commit to, to a, a level of service in the church and to use your gifts for God's glory. Either you have in the past or, or you're uh, looking to get involved, I would like you to consider Saturday from 9 to noon. We aim to do uh, four of these meetings this year, so every uh, once a quarter. And uh, part of it, after the initial launch, will help you um, to understand how to integrate and how to become part of. We don't have a bunch of committees, and we don't have a bunch of other things that we do here. We're not a very program-oriented church. Um, I want us to be a presence-oriented church. And so with that, sometimes it means getting things done. There's that old adage, you ever heard it, 20% of the people doing 80% of the work? The idea is we just want to blow that out of the water. And uh, we are in a lot of ways. So here's the thing. Three key relationships. Remember what it was? Up, which was our relationship with God. We're going to do that this morning through communion. We're actually, we're there in in singing to him. Our purpose of singing is that he comes down, that he, he inhabits the praises of his people. In was community or fellowship with one another. We do that partially through hugs, handshakes, high fives. We do that anytime we get together. Some of you will be going to lunch today. Some of us need to be part of a home group. We need to, to be coming together, just impromptu things. Part of that is we've got a thing called reflect. Um, Kevin, you want to say anything about reflect? Probably come up here so I can put you on a mic. Reflect is in your bulletin, so you see that little insert, and it's actually giving you scripture readings. Yes, in your bulletins, you will see we are doing a weekly. Actually, it's going to be reading through the Bible and the year. So we as Christians, anyways, all of us should be in the Word daily, at least. So what if this is is a, um, a weekly, we uh, are putting in bulletins for what your weekly reading will be. And some people might think, well, it's overwhelming. You know, I, I don't know if I can have time through the day to read. Listen, if you read a chapter to two chapters a day, you are probably the top people in the church, not this just this church body, but the church bodies around the world that read more than the average church member. Because a lot of people don't even read the Bible. So if you can just get into the Word, this is, this is designed to be about 15 minutes a day. That's it. So if you're like getting up for work in the morning, get up a little bit, 15 minutes early, get into the Word of God. And then what we want to do is have like a weekly place in our communities where we are, people to host that you can come to your house 
and talk about what you read through the week. This is a good way to outreach in your community, in your home areas, your neighbors, your friends, because a lot of people might feel threatened to come into a big, large group church setting, but they will feel welcome to come into your home. So we need hosts, and you might think, well, once a week, hosting at my house, that's a lot of, that's a lot of preparation. That's fine. If you say, I can host once a month, we'll take that as well. Because if we can get three other people in your community to host around your area, that's once a week for the month that people can be meeting. So there's many opportunities if you're interested in hosting at your house, if it's once a week, if it's once a month, if it's biweekly, whatever. We need all the help that we can get. And again, we are called to be disciples. We're called to disciple others. And this will be a great way as you are taking 15 minutes a day to read and you can communicate with others in your community. Now, you might be saying, well, I don't know what material I need to use. We have Wednesday night reflect training at 7 o'clock. And we have all the materials. You have everything that you need to host at your house. Again, you might be like, well, I'll host, but I don't want to lead. That's fine. If you want to host, we might get somebody else that says, hey, I want to lead, but I can't host at my house. We'll get you two paired up. So whatever it is, we got you covered. So we just need people to volunteer and to step up and be ambassadors for Christ and to do the Great Commission to go and make disciples. So if you want to see myself, Joel too, our pastor after church, we can get you hooked up. All right? Bless you. You know what I like about this, Kevin, is that this actually reflect fulfills up in and out. Because it gives us the opportunity to accomplish all three of those things just as we, uh, as we host a, a group because we're going to be inviting, we're going to be studying the Bible, um, the divine, and then we're going to have fellowship with each other. And part of it is it's a matter for you to invite your friends and neighbors, coworkers to something. They call it a, another doorway into the group because sometimes it's pretty hard to come to a church without an, a personal invitation or somebody that you know it's, it's difficult. So this gives an opportunity to, they call it another doorway because they get to come into your home somewhere that's a little less uh, frightening or uh, intimidating and get to, get to kind of hang out a little bit and then uh, someday come visit the church. So that's part of the purpose. Okay, I need, uh, I need a couple of people to help me pass these cards out. Let me have you get a pen out. If you don't have a pen, I need your help on a quick assignment. Okay, ready? Get a pen. Hurry. Here's a pen. If you don't have a pen, here's the cards. Everybody needs a card. I need both people's uh, input on this thing. I don't need just, don't, don't, husbands, don't give it to the wife and say, you do that. Okay? Pins. Thank you. You can, don't throw them at them, especially Judy, because <laughs> I threw something. What was that? A gift card I threw at her on Christmas party? And he punt, it smacked her in the forehead. She went down like a bat that got swatted by a broom. No, she didn't. Um, All right, I'll give this to you several times, but, but here it is. This is your assignment on that three-by-five card, so I'm making it as easy as I possibly can. On that three-by-five card, I want you to just give me something. Talk to me about what church means to you. Say, what church means to me? If you want to write it on the very top of your card, what church means to me? What church means to me? I'm going to give you a couple minutes here, just a couple minutes to write. You can use your Bible if you have one. If you don't, there's one in front of you so you can write on something. What church means to me? It can mean what, you, what it really means to you. 
It can mean what you think it's supposed to, to be. What church means to me. Please don't only write one word. Did you put your name on it? Go ahead and put your name on it, unless you're ashamed of what you wrote. I promise there won't be any retribution. Nobody will show up at your house. We'll slash your tires without you knowing us that we were there. What church means to me? How many of you are done with that? If you are, go ahead and just hold your card up in the air. Okay? Most of us are. Good. Just hold on to those for a minute. I actually had several people who, uh, who've done this, um, who, who wrote in, including my sister. And um, so I might read that, but one of uh, Gina's friends wrote, Church is far more complex than it should be. Because we try to look so perfect that we put on masks and live in denial of how despicable we really are. Church is a group of believers gathering for the purpose of both praising God and being taught about Him. A place that reaches out to love both believers and non-believers the way that Christ taught us to love. 
I think that's still her thought. But it's kind of interesting because what happens is, folks, when you interact, the reason for doing that little exercise partially is because we have to put something that is kind of just floating around when we commit it to paper that we actually realize that we may have some expectations and we might have some goals and we might have some some uh, attitudes about church. And that causes people to either be in church or not be in church and to stay in a church or to leave a church. And there's all this stuff going on. Um, one person wrote, a church service is a meeting of Christians to minister to each other through teaching, music, prayer, thanksgiving, and fellowship. Now, I'm going to say that's probably 90% of responses will be something incorporating those. So that's a uh, rather, let's call it mature and succinct um, definition. Church is an anticipated gathering of people who have chosen to follow Christ, no matter the cost. Being diligent to pray, read, and worship privately during the week, these Christians view church services as a time to be united in corporate worship and help others to experience the reality and greatness of God through teaching and serving. They're committed to being transformed in every aspect of life and sharing their faith with unbelievers throughout the week inviting them to be personally discipled and introduced to other Christ followers. Wow, that's a pretty detailed... You didn't have enough card for that, did you? So is that really what we are? Because I was reading that, I was thinking, now, is this a wannabe or is this a we are? What do you think? Because there's places where, are we really doing that? Are we being diligent to pray, read, and worship privately during the week? And then teaching and serving, and they're committed to being transformed in every aspect of life and sharing their faith with unbelievers? It's, it's that time of year again. I've got a question to ask you. How many of you have, uh, have been out there and somebody has come up and witnessed to you about Jesus Christ, trying to get you saved? You had one here? Who else? You have one there? One there? One back here? My point always about this is that in this case, we have four, is that if I counted right? Maybe five. Five people out of our number who have been approached about Jesus Christ or let's say faith or church. Or, In other words, if, if out of our group here, now either we all look really holy <laughs> so people don't think we need the Lord or uh, maybe it's that we're wearing a big, you know, crucifix or cross on it. But the issue is, is that there's not a lot of giving of testimony that way out. It's not a lot of sharing our faith. And and otherwise, what happens is these numbers will get less and less all the time. So see, what we're going to be doing this year is we're focusing more on reaching people and talking to them about faith and asking them about where they're at in their spiritual walk. Not in a threatening way, just in a means of we, we actually care. How's that? So that's what we'll be doing. Maybe as you look on what you have down on your own sheet, when you consider some of the things about what is a meaningful church, some of the things we might hit on and some things we don't. Because what we have is we have different appetites and we have different expectations. And that's one of the things that's necessary is for us to be able to take all that. And in the church, it comes down to on the wheel here, it's it's a hub. And, And from that is where the power, if you will, is is concentrated and then flows out. 
And so we've got the wagon wheel as the spokes, which the spokes represent the ministries that we're giving this away and then we're going and doing. This is the out portion. And so what happens is, is that when it comes to the outside, this big band on the outside is a, is a, a plate that ties all the spokes together. And then you got, we call it the tire, which is blue in my illustration here, which uh, actually is where the rubber meets the road is the old phrase I'm going to use. And what that says is that we have a unified mission and vision and each person doing its part, flowing from the center. We're going to say Christ is at the center, but that's also pastoral leadership. Then it flows, mission and vision flows from there out, empowering everybody. Listen to some of these ministries, life groups, seedlings, which is nursery, new life kids, regen youth, elevate, uh, which is for uh, young adults, prime time, which is for people my age. Uh, 40s, 50s, Silver Lining, which is for people older than that, Men's Ministry, Women's Ministry, Fun Committee. Yes, I believe in a fun committee. Creative Arts Team, Tech Team, Worship Team, Prayer Team, Friendship Team, Discipleship, Network, Missions, Outreach, Maintenance, Cleaning, Share Care, Visitation, Leadership Training. Those are all parts of the will. And what ideally we need is we need one person in charge of every one of those. Somebody different, each one has a spoke, and they're holding the wheel up. And what it is is we give that vision mission, and we empower and equip, and we want to help you to, to, to accomplish it. But then what has to happen is I need that feedback to me. So we need to know what's happening and what's going on with the ministries. And so part of it in in our purpose is to try to say, if we're going to do church and we're going to accomplish all those things... Meanwhile, doing what God wants us to do, we need to give it to where everybody is, is using their gift and their talent and their ability for a common purpose. That's what was called unity in the early church. Before I move on, I'm just going to look at see if I can read what my sister wrote here. What church means to me. I would have to say for me, it's coming together in an appointed building known as church with like-minded Christians who share the same beliefs as I do based on God's word, to give him praise and thanksgiving for the love he gives us every day, for holding us in tough times and celebrating with us the moments of joy in our lives. It's a place I can go to receive God's word, but unlike my private devotional time, I get the wisdom and understanding of God's shepherd, my pastor. His job is to present the Bible in truth, not adding nor taking away from it, but helping me to understand it and apply it to my life and journey to get ever closer to God. Church is so many things to me. It's a place of fellowship and friendship. It's a place of service to others where a smile, a hug, or a hello can change everything. It's more than coming to a building every week, sitting and going through the motions of, quote, being there. It's giving of yourself in any way you can, time, talent, money, to the church and to serve all, to fulfill God's command to love one another as I have loved you. Church is Christ with open arms waiting for us to come and receive all the love and grace he has for us freely, without any more from us than the willingness to say, please, Lord, help me, or come, Lord, be with me. We get to be part of the blessing, love and grace of God every day. All he asks is that we receive and share that love with others, that we don't forget the heavy burdens others carry, and we don't ignore the poor, not only of money, but spirit. Church, lastly, for me, is a house of friends who love me in spite of my past or failures. Friends, like a great pastor who sits at the hospital as a baby has come into the world or a grandmother leaves to be with, with God. 
It's being able to call him at any time, knowing that his prayer and counsel will make the crisis just a little smaller and bearable. It's the men's group going to a single mother's house and fixing a leaky roof, or the women's group making dinner for someone sick. It's being part of a family that we get to choose to belong to, with love and support for us, by us. Belonging to God's church is a gift, and when I sing my praises to God this week, I'll sing an extra verse for all my fellow friends near and far. Sounds like a pretty good definition of what church is to her, meaningful. By the way, if you want to expound on that more than what you got on a card, you're welcome to do that, uh, to give it to me. doesn't mean you're going to get your way, of course. What it means is, is that it's important for you to understand what you're looking for because part of our disappointment, part of the calamity in our own lives and how we're wrestling, because I've been in churches where I sat there and I wondered what the heck I was doing there. I was, I was in turmoil, and I felt like I was the devil himself sitting in the chair. And eventually it was a matter of, you know, I either have to, is it my issue with a person, a parishioner, if you will? Is it, is it with a pastor? Is it with another a leader? Is it with the vision and mission of the church? What's my angst? And many times what God showed me is it was me. I, it wasn't them. They weren't the problem. The problem was right here. And I'm going to say that probably if, if you're honest with yourselves, most of the time, we find calamity in our lives. We see the enemy, and he is me. That ever happen where God tells you that, no, no, you're looking outside, and I want you to right here. I'm allowing this because it's iron sharpening iron. Well, go ahead and let's show this, uh, this, this clip here. This is a fishing trip. How many of you have ever been fishing? Who hasn't been fishing? Anybody hasn't been fishing ever? Just you. There always has to be one. No, go ahead. So the fishing trip. Uh-oh, is Mario not in here? Okay, bad timing by me. So there's a fishing trip that's coming up. In the fishing trip, you're going to see the, the video. It has a, an application for us. Do you see it on the screen? It's going to take something to pull it up. Let me, uh, I'll go to another aspect so I can come, come, come back to, to that. Um, do you, how many of you have had a, uh, is that it? You ready? We'll try it. Bring the volume up. Thank you, sir. Yay, Brian. Suppose there was a group who set out for a fishing trip. The group was led by a guide who they trusted would lead them to fish. fish He led them to water, but the group became full of excuses for why they couldn't fish. Some people came on the trip dressed the part and full of great fishing stories, but never seemed to do anything. Some claimed they did not have the heart for fishing. I can't fish. Hooking a worm? It's just too cruel. Do you know it's a rubber worm, right? Some said the work should be left to those whom were more skilled in the art of fishing. Carl, he's really good at casting. Shouldn't he be doing all the fishing? No, no, you can do it. It's really simple. Look, some claim that fishing was not their gift. Hey, uh, uh, fishing's really not my thing. In fact, it scored a zero on my spiritual gifts test, so... No, we could still really use your help. Before the guide could finish, Carl interrupted him. I think I got one! Hey, great! You mind helping out with some of the others? 
No, it's okay. Carl was more impressed with catching fish on his own than he was in helping people out, like Greg here. I got a small problem here. My line's a little tangled up. Oh, my goodness. How in the world did that... Some of the people fishing said they just didn't have time to fish. Matt, where are you going? Oh, yeah. I, I have an appointment um, thing that's going around. It's okay. It's okay. I, got a, I got a stick. It's doing great. It's great. Whoa. Oops. And some people, well, they just had problems. Hey, uh, my hook's caught on something. What's it caught on? If everyone did their part, imagine the fish that could be caught. If everyone did their part, imagine the fish that could be caught. See? I lived in Florida there 17 years, and we had these big cast nets. that They'd go out onto some of the, cow, uh, onto the uh, canals, and they'd go into parts of the... Uh, uh, different river areas, and, and they would cast these things out, just one person. And it, we could call it a dragnet because that's what it would do, and they would just literally reel these things in. It just took one, and they could catch a whole lot of fish. But here's the deal. The way God set it up is that he says, you were fishermen, but I want to make you fishers of men. For us to accomplish the purpose of God, it, can't, it isn't going to happen by one guy. It's not going to happen by one or two gifted people. It's going to happen because all of us use our gifts in the body for a specific pur- purpose. So here's one of the things that this parable of the fishing tri- trip asks. Um, how does it relate to, to your life? How does it relate to, to what you need to get done in, in your job? Maybe you're a supervisor. Maybe you're the owner of the company. And what you're doing is you're relying on other people. And sometimes you're hindered and growth is hindered by... What doesn't get done? What doesn't get accomplished? Do you feel like you end up doing everything? And you have to be there, and if you're not, stuff begins to collapse. It's kind of funny this morning. It's where Susan at. Kind of funny this morning, wasn't it? Because Joe Sadowski asked me where the cookies are. Um, no, and I don't eat them anymore, so if there are any around, then I would probably know where they're at too. And uh, she says, how would you say it, Susan? Don't ask him. He doesn't have to know everything or he doesn't have to do everything. And um, I was like, well, the problem is I actually knew why, where they were, didn't I? It was in a tote above the refrigerator. Um, which tells you I'm not eating them too, okay? You might have just ate them this morning. I don't, I'm hoping they're not stale. So um, she says, you know, pastor doesn't need to do everything. And I was just like, bless your heart. You have no clue what the sermon is. So do you feel like you're doing everything? And the answer for me sometimes is yes, I do. Why is that? Well, pastor, it's your own fault because you didn't call me. You didn't ask me. Some things, see, I guess, is that when I was in business, I always taught and I taught my son the same thing. I taught my daughter the same thing. You see something that needs done, do it. Don't wait for somebody to ask you. Some of it's painfully obvious. Most of it's painfully obvious. So when you see something needs done, do it. Now, I intend to keep this on a positive note, but just let me tell you, when we did a baptism on Tuesday night this week, that means that we have a a baptismal tank that needs to be disassembled 
and hauled out of here before Sunday service. We have all the decorations for Christmas that need to be put up by somebody before church. At some point, even if we leave them up for a month till Easter or whatever. So there's things that need to be done. And nobody has to tell us because we all have eyes to see that there's things that need to be done. What it is is that we're all busy. And we think somebody else is going to do it sometimes. And sometimes what that means is the one who has responsibility for it, okay, I get paid to do it, is to make sure that when you come here, everything's laid out and it's like the red carpet's laid out for you. You don't have to do nothing. See what I mean? But that's not church. That's not the way that ministry will ever really increase and enlarge and will accomplish the purpose of God. It's because it's not meant, I call it an inverted pyramid. Because here it is, is God says, Jesus is the chief cornerstone and the church's foundation is supposed to be built on that. And the bigger and wider you build that foundation, the higher that you're, you, you can go with, with whatever you build on top of it. But when you have this, the foundation, it's the one man, the point man. I came here over 12 years ago and I saw that it was called, a, I called it a pastor dominant church, which doesn't mean the, power, the, the, the pastor was a control freak wasn't a power monger. What it meant is, is everything rested on the pastor and went up like this. And if something was going to happen, it's because the pastor was going to make it happen. So if, if the pastor doesn't make it happen, then guess what? It just falls to the wayside. So we have people saying, well, we started this and what happened to that? And what about this? And what about that? And what about that? And I'm saying, what about it? I'm not going to make it happen. You, you have to make it happen. I'm going to equip you, empower you. I'm going to give you the tools necessary. I'll resource you. Outside of that, you know, this isn't, it's not supposed to be on one man. It's not supposed to be on one person who owns a ministry either. Oh, this is mine and nobody else mess with this. See, that's dysfunction. The idea is we're supposed to be a team and we're supposed to each member participating. So what we're going to be doing is part of this is that this represents the unity. The will is a unifier. We all come together for mission and vision. You'll see some things next week that will begin to appear very clear about what the mission and vision of the church is and where we're going and how we need you to get on board with that because we want to we be found honoring to God. I want to get more done through more people. So this is not a time for excuses. This is a time for us to move into it. How many of you have ever been where you had a, an efficiency expert come in. Maybe it even happens at McDonald's, believe it or not, or especially at McDonald's. You know what an efficiency or proficiency expert is? They come in and they're looking for the waste. They're looking with how, you, how your company functions and how you operate. It's a measure of cost cutting. It's a way of being able to say that, um, for example, efficiency means no waste. Proficiency is you're adept and skilled at what you do. So what they're looking for is a streamlined and productive operation. So you're looking to cut out waste. For example, you're hearing, I think I just heard, they're going to cut out uh, the uh, smoke breaks. Going to begin to eliminate the 15-minute smoke breaks or potty breaks or whatever you want to call them um, in, the, in, the, in the day, during the, during the day. It's going to the wayside. Do that stuff on your lunch. So what is that to? That's just to try to make things more streamlined and efficient. So we're not having times where so-and-so, oh, they're out on a puff break. Okay, well, I guess we'll wait. 
That means it's what we're trying to do is be lean and mean, if you will, no fat. Well, let me, in Revelation 3.14, let's go ahead and go there. You can bring up the house lights. Thank you. Let's see what the application of Scripture is. In chapter 3, you all know the verse, don't you? You'll know the church. It's called the church at Laodicea. It's in uh, chapter 3 of Revelation, verses 14 and following. How many of you have heard those things about, you know, I'd rather you be hot or cold, but because you're lukewarm, I'll spit you out of my mouth, right? You guys have heard that, the message to that church? So um, here's what, what happens is that means different things to different people, but I'm not sure that we actually got the real meaning out of that because you need to understand the culture of the time to get the real meaning out of it is you have to understand even what this city was like. If New York City is, is res, re, referred to as the financial capital of the world, that that's where, when it was attacked, it was attacked for that reason, because the Twin Towers represented the financial power and strength of the United States, for example. The Pentagon represented this, this arm, the, the army and the military and our strength in that way. The White House was targeted originally because it represented the strength or power of, of government itself. And so what you had is they were very clearly targeting these different aspects of, of, let's call it, our strength. And so in the church at Laodicea, Laodicea was known as a, uh, had several things that they were really known for. As a matter of fact, in, in A.D. 60, there was, uh, there was great turmoil and, and problems and uh, even, I think it was a, um, an earthquake. And what happened is that towns and cities had to be rebuilt and almost like Hurricane Sandy relief, the Romans offered this relief, and the church or the, uh, the town of Laodicea said, no, no, we don't need your help because we're already rich. We got plenty of money. We don't need your, we don't need your, your, your charity. So here's how it reads. Anyone want to come back and look at it just a bit. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. In case you don't know who that is, that's Jesus himself. So he's saying that this comes from Jesus. I know in verse 15, I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you are like lukewarm water, neither hot or cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. So... I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that has been purified by fire. Then you will be rich. Also, buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness, and ointment for your eyes so that you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in, and we will share a meal together as friends." Those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. The imperative here that they're really trying to be communicated by Jesus, the risen Lord, is the, the need for intensity. Now, how many of you think that it means that he would rather you be hot or cold? How many thinks that that's what it means, be hot or cold? How many thinks that's exactly what he means? How many knows God really doesn't want you to be cold? And he doesn't want you to be lukewarm. Guess what God really leaves us with? 
He wants you to be hot, which means on fire. It means that your heart's burning with passion about the, the purposes of God and about the mission and the privilege and what we get to do. So see, here's the deal. I don't know too many Christians I've ever run into who says, I want to be a lukewarm Christian. Guess what? I don't want to be a lukewarm pastor. You know what else? I don't want to be a lukewarm pastor leading a lukewarm people. Kevin and I, we left the other day, and, and uh, I said, Kevin, at the end of a couple of hours of meeting and discussing things and launches, and I said, Kevin, I said, why do we do what we do here at the church? Is it, is it clear to you yet? Do you know what? Kevin says, well, we do it so people will grow in God. I think that's kind of the summary of where we came to. And you know what? That's exactly why we do it. So the issue is, is that we're in it for you. This is nothing about us. This is about us being faithful before God. But we're, we're doing the things that we do. This will is about the church. It's about the whole body. It's about every member being in a position to glorify God with the gifts and talents that he's given to them. And what we want to do is we want to make sure that we're, we're giving you the vehicle to use those. That's what the church does that you can't do in and of yourself on your own. It's like the, the fishing. No, no, I can't help anybody. I'm, I'm just catching fish. No, you're not. You're catching limbs. It's dead wood. Why? Because it's not really into the whole mission, which is God serving one another. Serve God, serve one another. So here's what happens. There's this explanation. You can sometimes find these resources, but, but here it was, cold water, literally, when it says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, that's that they're in a town where they had to have water piped into it. Now, a lot of southern Florida, when we lived down there, we got our water pumped in from Pensacola and from up in the Panhandle area. So we got water pumped in from, from uh, let's see, that would have been um, Apalachicola in that area where the rivers and the waters were pumped down to Tampa, Florida, because we didn't have much fresh water down our way. And so what happened is, is that in this town, they have this, uh, let's say, hot springs. Any of you ever been to a place, a park, or a place of recreation where they had hot springs, natural hot springs coming out of the water? Well, here they've got this place called Hieropolis, and uh, that's how I'm pronouncing it. And so that's about six miles away from them, and they've got hot springs there. And so that water would be pumped down into it because they wanted hot water and they needed fresh water. The water there wasn't all that good. And so then they had another town where they got, they got uh, cold water come in. Well, here's the problem is by the time that it arrived uh, via their troughs and, and their system of getting it to them, guess what happened to the hot water and the cold water? It came in lukewarm. So it wasn't really good for its intended purpose because it wasn't cold, which was refreshing then to somebody who's in the desert. And it wasn't hot, which was, had all these other properties to it and purities. And that's how you boil water, right? So it meant it was better quality of water. So it's not hot and it's not cold. It didn't really serve its purpose. Do you see? God's created us for a purpose. When he says, I'd rather you be hot or cold, he means useful. He doesn't mean, I want you to be cold spiritually. It means that you got a purpose, and I want you to fulfill your purpose, and you're supposed to bring refreshing, living water coming out of you. See? Life-giving. So he wants you to be refreshing. So he says, I I want you to be refreshing, or I want you to be therapeutic, but I want you to be hot or cold, either one. But to be lukewarm means somehow 
as you've traveled this distance in your Christian walk, that we've just grown kind of stale. And now we're not, we're not on fire. We, there's nothing new. Do you know what I struggle with as a pastor? The longer people are with me, especially been here for all these years, 12 years, I get to be old hat. I get to be, you've heard it before, been there, done that, getting kind of tired, thinking it's time to go somewhere else. Matter of fact, some of you came here because the pastor where you were at was getting to be like that. Just saying the same old stories over and over again. Well, you know what you constantly have to do? Is you have to say, you know, hey, if you're called to that fellowship, how am I going to renew my heart in the midst of this place? Do you know what it is? It might be that you keep looking to somebody else to serve up your meals when God's calling you to start cooking. Don't you think? So what's that mean? Stepping up to the plate a little bit. Yeah, we've been being spoon-fed so long, and there's only so many veggies in the cupboard, you know? So that's what you're getting pretty soon. You've got to add your own seasoning to it. That's working out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So how are we going to do this and move forward if, if pastor made a lifetime commitment to be in Shadyside, Ohio? That means he's not looking to leave anytime soon. He's sowing seeds and he's planning on getting, reaping a harvest. He wants to see people grow up big in God. And hey, if that results in a, a bigger church or a new church or whatever else church, that's wonderful. But guess what? That's not my stated goal. But some people I find that sometimes we're resisting. We got our excuses. We got our reasons why we're not going to fish, why we don't have that gift. That whatever that excuse is, understand that's limiting the resource and the availability of our potential to actually accomplish what God has set out for us. And sometimes what I saw in the analogy of the hot and the cold is the further it traveled through distance, that's where we end up being lukewarm. Rick, you probably can know as an electrician, I I don't have the term, I just wrote down the illustration here, that you need some sort of a booster, some sort of an inline, because when the current travels so far that it actually diminishes through the distance that it has to run. Is that right? So what you have is a certain amount of power at this end, and the longer the run is, what happens is you have a voltage drop the further that run is. So to compensate for that, what do you do? What is it? So a capacitor, and what it does is a capacitor stores up power, is what it does. It has a a means of of having its power source, and it actually um, has power. And what it does is it gives out of its excess So it has a a capacity that it stores, is that right? So it has a stored capacity, which means a resident power that's there. And then what it does is when that current comes and it's not up to to the right voltage, it goes and supercharges it and then sends it on down the line. Well, you know, we can have that uh, in in your work. Think about different times where there's some power booster. There's something that, that is a relay. There's something that when the flow begins to to diminish, that all of a sudden it and floods it and fuels it so that it it goes. See, that's what we need. Guess what that is? It's kind of like, probably I'm thinking that uh, Callie's got a cool car. Did you ever kick that in what's called passing gear? Do you know what happens when you go to pass somebody because you're angry at them because they're slow? And instead of being mean, you just figure you'll blow them away. So what you did is you, you just step on it all the way. Now, in the old cars, Rick knows this too, don't you? In the old cars, what you'd get is this. I mean, it would thrust you back, you know, so that it kicked into turbo 
Um, my brother had a barracuda, which was a four-barrel, I think they called it. And man, when we were down on this country road, and all of a sudden he, st- he, he put it all the way to the metal, and I can remember it literally, you know, the gum popped out of my mouth. And, you know, that was, that was going in turbo. And, and what that is to me is an illustration of being infused or endued with power from the Holy Spirit. That's what we need going along. And it's like, okay, we can be cruising speed, but if we're really going to make an impact and impression, guess what? Some of us need to put the pedal to the metal and stop making excuses. See? Ultimately, that means being filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going to make this quick because I'm preaching too long. Here it is. Being filled with the Holy Spirit. You say, I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. Some of us learn to live without, and we learn to live, and we justify whatever we're at just so that we can stay here because to go beyond this place would be too much work. It's too difficult. And so we settle, and we end up settling for this. That's what half the tribe of Manasseh did, going into the promised land, said, no, no, we we like it out here. This is pretty nice here. And yet to go beyond that, that's where the work. I love what Moses' solution is. That's fine. You can keep that, but you're still going in and going to fight with us. The issue wasn't like, oh, we choose not to, Moses. See, what happens in any given church on any given day, any given week, is that people just decide they're not going to do something. And we have that prerogative. And so what we do is we say, ah, oh, that's not for me. Not for me. Yes, it is. <laughs> it's for him. And it's for all of us to come together to use our gifts and talents and abilities. So I am rich. I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. It seems good to you, but it's not. And so what happens is we get so comfortable with our own life that we don't even have an expectation. We don't have a hope anymore of God. So he says, I advise you to buy gold from me that has been purified by fire. May as well said, that's been purified by me. He's the refiner. Then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me, so you will not be shamed by your nakedness. Anointment for your eyes that you'll be able to see. Well, here it is. Laodicea is this profitable banking center. It's, it's a money place where, where monies are going. They were, they were known for black wool, as a matter of fact. Black wool. So you see why it's important that white garments, because that's not what they naturally produced. They produced black wool, and so that was kind of like a specialty thing. And so they actually made more money because it's black wool. And so what happens is textiles like that where they were known for. I salve, it talks about buy this so that you'll see. They were, it wasn't actually a salve-like anointment. What it was is more like uh, I get the idea of an eyeshadow, that it was actually a powder that had medicinal stuff to it, and so they would put that on their eyes. So here it is, is that when it's talking about the things that they need in Laodicea, he was talking about culturally. This is what it is. He would say today, he'd say, come and buy coal from me. Come and erect your buildings and your houses with steel made in our meal. See, he would be using that kind of parable so that you could relate to it in terms of what's that mean right here in our economy. Because in Laodicea, they had their own economy and their success caused them to be indifferent You know that because that's actually one of the words that was used there. Everything was provided there in Laodicea and they were wealthy. And they felt like they had no need of anything. And what happened is they had confidence in everything that they had naturally because of their economics. 
because of their economy. And the church had reflected that, that the church had lost its desperation. The church has lost its, its need for God to come in and infuse her. You know what that is? That's being convicted by the Holy Spirit. The first one is being filled by the Holy Spirit. The second one is being convicted by the Holy Spirit. You may not know what your own condition is. I put it in the bulletin. How many of you are, are open to, uh, to a pastoral inspection in your lives? Let's talk about your spiritual walk. Let's talk about temptation. Let's talk about your disciplines, spiritual disciplines. Are you open to that? As a shepherd, that's what the shepherd's supposed to know, the condition of the flocks. So is the welcome mat out for me to come in and see what's going on in your life and then to offer some counsel to help you? Just a thought. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. You know what indifference is? This right there is indifference. Leave me alone. Didn't ask for it. Don't want it. Leave me alone. Don't care what you think. I don't think you're, you got it all together. Why would you come and talk to me? Diligent means jealous, hot, passionate. That's literally what the Greek word in this case means. It means diligent, jealous. It means hot, passionate. Same kind of word as God's using when he says he's a jealous God. So be diligent. And then indifference means to repent, to think differently or afterwards to reconsider. So when conviction comes to actually reconsider, okay, what do I have to do after thinking about it? Having now been confronted with this discipline that the Lord's bringing, that he's challenging me in an area of my life, an attitude, how I'm, how I'm serving or not serving. And then he says, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. You ever meet, eat a meal on a run with somebody? It's a little different. It's a little different when you have somebody come into your house and you sit across from the table and you don't know how long you're going to be there. But it's not just a matter of how long I can eat this hamburger so I can get the heck out of here. We ran into somebody yesterday that couldn't wait to get out of, out of, out of our circle. And guess what? I got to confess, I felt the same way. It was that ugly. And you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to leave the little pretzel stand at the front of the Sam's Club and go back there and say, you know, that was so fake. Can we just be genuine here? Can we be real? Instead of all that nicety, which is, is an atrocity, because that's not what's in the heart. Because that's not what's in my heart. And that's not honoring to God. And we're going to allow that to happen, really? How many people know that at least one party doesn't want to have that conversation? Because that's called confrontational. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Why is the door closed on Jesus anyway? Why would it be a, a pastor be shut out of a life? I told an elder at our church up in New York, I said, man, if you can't follow that pastor, you've you got to get out of here. 
He, he wanted to see me replace the pastor. I said, I'm not the pastor. <laughs> oh, man, that is nothing good can come out of this. He's the appointed man of God. You better, you either get in line with him or you leave. You serious? You're telling me to leave? I'm an elder. Yeah, I'm telling you to leave because you're, you're an elder who's all whacked out. See, that if that's going on in our heart, the right thing to do isn't to flee. The right thing to do is to move by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And to do that, you have to be open to the Holy Spirit. That's what he's asking you to do. Open up the door. Let me in. He's saying the same thing by his Holy Spirit. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's trying to say to the churches. And that means being obedient to the Holy Spirit. Once he speaks to you, you've got to do something with what he speaks. Otherwise, what happens is we've become dull of hearing. Matter of fact, we, we can even develop a hardness of heart. I love this passage, and we're going to move into communion here. After removing Saul in Acts 13.22, I think it'll be on the wall. It says, after removing Saul, this is referring back to King Saul back in the Old Testament. He made David their king. God testified concerning him, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. You know what I hope stands out to you in that passage? He's a man after my own heart because he'll do everything that I want him to do. Well, pastor, you got your own little fan club. People that you like better than others. You know why? I guess I I like to think of myself as a little bit like God. He's a man after my own heart. He embraces a mission and vision. They embrace a mission and vision of the church. They're sold out to it. That's one of the things I love about Kevin. I know absolutely where he stands. I'm not afraid of him. I'm not his preaching style, his teaching, counseling, anything ever he could bring to the church. I'm not afraid of that. I know God's appointed me. God's brought him along as a blessing. It's his character, and it's the fact that he throws himself behind it. And he says, you know, I learned certain things out there, but when you're, you're teaching and you're talking and things we've shared, and I saw that, that that's actually biblical and this may not have been. That was a different interpretation or translation, and, and you've opened my understanding about this. Why could he do that when he's a teacher at a Bible school? Because he has a heart that's open to receive. Folks, when, whenever you start to say, well, he, whatever he says just doesn't make no sense to me, Get on your knees and repent because God will open up your understanding. He doesn't want you being led to where you can't, you can't hear. Guess what he says in this chapter? He talks about, you know, earwax. He talks about buying salve for your eyes so you can see the way God wants you to see so you'll hear the way God wants you to hear. He says, this David guy, he's a man after my own heart. He'll do everything I want him to do. What I want to tell you is there's incredible opportunities ahead for New Life Fellowship. There's incredible opportunities ahead for you to be discipled and trained up. we got a foundations course we're waiting to launch. What we need is people to show up for it. We, we don't have a membership. We don't have a way of assimilating people right now. So, you know, when, when people come to the church that's new, there's not much we can. We can invite you to a party. You know, but what we need is we need to have a process that we're going to walk through you with and chart a course for you. It's just like on-the-job training. And by doing that, it exposes you to all the ministries and how to get involved. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to encourage you and build you up. We're going to help you to understand who you are in Christ and who He is in you and what He wants you to do. We're going to help you to understand the why am I here question. 
and we're going to love you through the process. But I'm going to tell you that I'm on a mission to fulfill what the purposes of God are for my life and for your life. And I've got a a responsibility before God to see that I've, with everything that he's given me, that I was faithful with it. And that means every person. Communion for us today means fervent repentance. That's what it means. Fervent. Not being so passive with, if you've gotten, you're trapped in a sin and you find a recurring situation going on in your life, you've got to make a commitment to yourself that this is not acceptable. It's not okay. Because as long as you continue to think that you can come and you will get grace and you will get forgiveness, but you're not really going to be so committed to it that you're willing to do whatever it is to cut off the hand that causes you to sin, to pluck out the eye that causes you to sin. Does he want you doing that? No, he doesn't want you going around blind and without limbs. What he wants you to do is stop it. This song here is a Spanish song. And um, here's what it is. The title of it is, How Shall We Repay? Now, I didn't know that. I just knew it from the Spanish at Promise Keepers. Years ago, we attended, and I love the song. And when you read the words along with the Spanish lyrics you'll understand why we should love the song. I want us to use that as a time of reflection, and the worship team will come right up after this. I want to use it as time of reflection as we prepare our hearts for, uh, for communion. How shall we repay such a man's love? Giving up your life for sinful men. En cambio recibes la ofrenda In return you receive this humble offering. This humble offering, Lord Jesus, it comes from my heart. La ofrenda humilde, Señor Jesucristo, de mi corazón.
repay you with silver or gold for such sacrifice on my behalf. good thing is we don't have to repay. Let's, uh, let's receive the uh, bread. Go ahead and open up that top little compartment. It was on the night that he was betrayed, very significant, important. It was the night that he was betrayed, and knowing that he was about to be betrayed, he said, he took of the bread and he said, this is the bread... This bread is my body, which will be broken for you. It will be broken for you. He says, take and eat. So, Father, we thank you for the broken body of the Christ, that he is our daily bread, and we receive this humbly, and we receive it with full hearts, God. We agree that you have forgiven us of our sins, that you... Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Thank you that you make us righteous, that you make us pure, that you make us acceptable, that you make us worthy. In Jesus' name, amen. Then as he took that cup and he said, you've been living under the, uh, all this stinking thinking, all this old ways. Remember what I said, you've heard, but I say unto you, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. He says, no, no, not anymore. He said, now they want to smack you on one side of the face. You let them turn that cheek and let them smack you on the other side of the face. He said, this is a new covenant. This is a new way of doing things time to be renewed, time to live in victory, time to have your, your eyes opened to see, your ears open to hear. So this is a new covenant. It's in my blood, the blood of an everlasting covenant. It's made from heaven to earth, so you can't break it. I'm putting a door open for you, and no man can shut it. You have open access through my blood. You have eternal life through my sacrifice. You'll find forgiveness. You'll find healing. You'll find deliverance. It's all there because it'll be finished in this new covenant in my blood. So, Father, we thank you for what a great sacrifice on your own part. Jesus, what faith. He said, I, I know what Papa's doing. It's necessary, and I gladly go there. It's my joy to be able to set the rest of the world free for all time. 
So, Father, it's our delight to say thank you, Jesus, that you be honored in my life as I live according to the covenant you've given to us. We receive it now in Jesus' name. Hallelujah, Jesus. We've, we've done the up, that's the divine, the in, our own fellowship. And now the, the out is that we sing and give him praises and spend some time on him this morning. Would you join with us as we do that? And During that time, you're welcome. Bring your offering forward. And we bless you, God, and we thank you. And we ask you to receive our praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat>